0: For December 11th, 2023, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 806. We're all stuck in the storeroom together. overthinking it where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve the overthinkers are your smart funny friends from the internet we're never happier than when we are uh together hanging out you know uh uh like all 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 in the family uh we're uh (laughs) uh, i'm i'm your i'm your paterfamilias i'm matt rather i'm here with uh with crazy uncle pete fenzel hey pete hey why did you <laughs> and uh i'm here with uh with our our normal uncle mark lee uncle mark how are you doing
1: oh i'm okay now i was sweating bullets see <laughs> where, where i where my now like a sitcom role isn't that so i'll take i'll take normal I was, uncle. Sure. I was
0: really i really like it took you know something not to be like our our you know crazy ethnic neighbor right like that because that that would be that would be what they would do uh you know yeah, on a on probably a, yeah uh, on a less sensitive sitcom. Uh,
1: and if we're being honest, i've I've played that character on this podcast a few times.
0: I thought thought you said. I thought you were about to say. I've been that in real life a few times. You know, knocking, knocking on my neighbor's doors. Um, But uh, yeah. So hey, you you might have you might have guessed it. But uh, we're here to talk about uh, David E. Kelly, the creator of television. What (laughs) him (laughs) too? Oh no! no. What more can cruel fate take from us? It's sorry. I couldn't. No, I'm uh, alas, David E. Kelly is still with us. The Oh. Um, the uh, that was very ungen that was un- an no. ungenerous un- way to uh, of me to put that, but Pete, I feel like i 'm not following the rules of our little sitcom unless I gaslight the audience at the beginning of the uh, right. at the beginning of the thing. Norman Lear passed away at the age of one hundred and one um who was a television producer, who's a writer and a, a TV producer and was, uh, you know, really involved in a lot of television shows in the, uh, in the, uh, I guess what the sixties and seventies were his, his big, uh, kind of heyday, but like kept going, you know, was still, um, I was still kind of working in, you know, in as much as you can, like talking to people, having ideas, like involved in different projects in, in whatever capacity, uh, you know, up to, up to very, very recently. So he, he was, um, I think culturally important in, in the kind of the second half of the 20th century. I think it was culturally important in the, the kind of evolution of, um, of the sitcom, which is the true American art form, uh, you know. Forget jazz. Forget jazz. It's the sitcom. It's. Uh, it's I still you know. put
2: it in for professional wrestling, but you go ahead.
0: I mean, I sure. Um, so that's that's the American
2: improv style as is professional wrestling, the American theater. But anyway, sorry. Keep
0: going. Born born in New Haven, Connecticut, died in Los Angeles, California. He came out to the bleeding edge. He knew what it was all about. Norman Lear knew where it was at here on the uh, here on the bleeding edge. And and uh, he passed away recently, leaving an, an enormous legacy of, uh, of television shows that we're sort of were uh, grappling with. Um, I mean, sorry, not like grappling with like it's it's this an enormous patrimony that we have to like sift through and uh, and inherit. But I think that
1: right mean, there's some of that. Sure, actually, yeah. we
0: passing, did watch
2: all of them. We watched every episode of every sitcom that Norman Lear worked on in the past week. Yep, uh, which is not mathematically possible, but we were traveling at relativistic speeds. So over yeah, over, over one hundred shows. Years. Yeah,
0: exactly. Yep. We we approached the speed of light, and we started from season one of All in the Family, the Jefferson <laughs> Sanford Son, Good Times, Maud, Mary hartman mary hartman one day at a time and then ones that he was involved with that his company was involved with but uh uh you know he's not and doesn't necessarily have a credit on like I, I, different or like different strokes kind of comes out of that i mean like, uh, oddly Pete, enough oddly enough interstellar there you go
1: he helped write that and that inspired us to do uh to take the time dilation route yeah
0: uh, yeah and absolutely yeah, not, not you know, absolutely like true. uh yeah, and and what we found while traveling at this the the speed of light. Speaking of interstellar, was that Norman Lear gets older, but we stay the same age. So let's uh, <laughs> let's uh, let's let's dig in, Pete. Uh, I I believe you've done the book report on the life of Norman Lear. Can you give us a a little five five paragraph essay uh, about the uh, about the life he lived and the work he did?
2: I mean, no, but you know, I can never keep it just five paragraphs. But I'll do my best. Also, I just want to clarify. We When talking about Norman Lear, I feel like it's helpful to have a reason that you're talking. This is the kind of person who is so connected or is still so connected and was so connected to the work of so many other people that it can be easy to lump together everything that happened around every project he ever worked on and attribute it personally to him. There was a Ridley Scott movie about this that came out recently called Napoleon. <laughs> Similar sort of- <laughs> This guy, I think taller, not, not sure. Maybe, maybe not, depends. Uh, probably roughly the same, same height, if I had to guess. If I have to wildly guess. I have no idea how tall Norman Lear was uh when but uh i also know that opinions at the height of napoleon are both controversial and pointless but <laughs> the point being right let's talk about an aspect of who norman lear was and what he did which is we're going to talk about what we need to talk about to talk about his shows and uh we're not necessarily going to go into the fact that he was a big political activist uh that's all part of his life i'm sure that everybody can read about that somewhere else uh and i and i, and I want to Talk about his shows in a particular sense. So so here's how I would describe it. I'm going to pick an angle. Here's the angle, right? So Norman Lear is a writer, right? First and foremost, he's a writer. But first and foremost, he's not like a writer who came into it through training to be a writer, right? He is a, a guy from a kind of not, not, maybe a rough upbringing, like a poorish upbringing. You know, dad uh, well, went to prison, right? Um, you know, it was, it, was a, it was a blue-collar kind of life. Uh, Was went to the Air Force in the war, you know, like and was involved in bombings and the war and stuff. So like this is the era of, uh, you know, guys come back from the war and they're looking for what their job is going to be, and you find stories of guys like this, and both from World War II and I think also from Vietnam. I once actually heard James Avery, he Uncle Phil himself, give a wonderful little description uh, because I sat in a talk that he gave uh, about how when he came back from Vietnam and he went to every university. In uh, in the University of California system because he could just to kind of see what he was going to do and he had that luxury because of the GI Bill uh, and that's how eventually he got his way into acting and then being then being a judge, um similar sort of idea right he's he's a he's a door to door salesman he's working in PR you know he's he meets a guy and they start like a sketch comedy writing team and so he's kind of bouncing around and eventually this is you know this is a time in which. Scales for the production of television were much smaller, uh, but at the same time, the reach of any individual show in the general viewership was much larger, even though the population was smaller. So you can slide all your scales. The point being that, you know, he writes a couple of movies. uh, He writes a couple of shows and his, he, what he what he really breaks through on is this show, All in the Family, which I'm sure everybody, well, maybe not everybody's heard of. We have viewers all over the world. I have no idea if All in the Family has penetrated to West Africa as a popular piece of television. I would be skeptical. But uh, um, All in the Family also known, Austin talked about as the Archie Bunker show, right? Archie Bunker is, the, is the, the sort of Homer Simpson of All in the Family, although not as well-meaning, uh, though twice as stupid sometimes. Uh, not quite twice as stupid. Homer is like impossibly stupid at times but but homer is to a degree a tie ty- an anti-type of archie bunker a, who is in turn based on normally his actual father as sort of a conservative kind of stupid right but also like very sympathetic at times because of the way he's written uh, a guy who clashes with the younger generation who are much more leftists, and they have lots of political discussions uh, in the sitcom and so he has a writer he has this sitcom innovation which you could say maybe he came up with himself. You could also say that he brought it back with him from the war because a lot of it is based on shows that were on in England. Uh, maybe he watched them after the war. Uh, He's familiar with British television. So he copied a couple of British shows, their premises, which is not that uncommon, you know, House of Cards and whatnot, uh, uh, The Office, but Office is more direct. This wasn't like necessarily licensed. Uh, but he sort of took the premises of British shows, and he made them into American shows, and he put his own stamp on them. But I would say the big thing that he does – is he takes the form of the sitcom and inserts into it discussions, not just an element of drama, which you did see at the time. And he's talking, we're talking about the 70s more than the 60s, the beginning of the 70s. Uh, elements of drama, very characteristic of his sitcoms, uh, but also there's a sort of pacing to it where it's like gag, gag, joke, joke, serious comment about something that's actually happening right now or is important to people. Brief discussion of that. Gag, gag, joke, joke. Right. And, and so it's, it's, uh, watching, rewatching some of his older stuff in preparation for this podcast. It reminded me of David E. Kelly. Like, it reminded me of watching Boston Legal, which was the last, and that's a David E. Kelly show, right, Matt? I'm not getting yep, that totally nope, wrong. That, and that was I the last deal. David E. Kelly show I watched, like, regularly, uh, where it's like, yeah, like, and this is Law and Order, of course, to this too. The episodes are kind of ripped from the headlines to an extent, right? And people are talking about in the episode, Things that were happening in the news at the time or that were kind of big social issues at the time that were vaguely extended in their presence over the course of several years or decade as like hot button issues. Uh, And so he did this in all the family. And then he makes a bunch of different shows, which he has a wide variety of different levels of participation in that. I'm not going to say they follow a formula, but they have this aspect in common. They don't shy away from portraying controversial populations like what we might call now as identity political groups which is not what you would have called them at the time uh, you know you know unmarried women single mom he has a show about famous show about uh, an unmarried woman famous show about a single mom if it was Ma- was maude unmarried or was she a widow that i don't remember because i haven't watched maude in freaking forever um, but uh her fourth husband so she's been married many times. She's not unmarried. She's married so many times that she's kind of got her own thing going. Um, and uh, one day at a time, it's, it's a single mom. Good times, it's Sanford and Son Jefferson's about African-Americans. And there's a lot of ink that's spilled about like his relationship with these groups and kind of what he was doing for them or what he was doing benefiting from them. And like how good are the shows? I think the shows are held in a certain space of reverence because they were big deals. Um, and I think, you know, I think you can talk to people and kind of get opinions about them. But what I want to focus on is the idea that these were the first shows of their kind. This was not something like, oh, yeah, you know, it's the it's the Big Bang Theory, right, is the new thing. And it's about nerds, right? We didn't need to have a show about nerds. It's not like there was literally never a nerd before In a sitcom on television, like in a family. Right. Like it's like these are like very big changes that were happening, but they were happening in service of a a sort of aesthetic mission of a sort of art and cultural mission, which is really the incorporation of uh, social commentary and discussion of contemporary issues into the form of the sitcom. That's how I would characterize it. Uh, and, and, and by mission I would mean a commercial mission as well as a personal and political mission. You know, this is sort of like how he buttered his bread. This is the thing that he did that was really successful. And the thing that when he, when he takes on a show and other people are doing it and he's not even working on it all that much, you know, he's sort of the big boss. This is sort of what's being done in his name. So, you know, he's sort of Phidias, right? He sort of does the face and the rest of the sculptors do the rest of Poseidon, right? (laughs) Like, uh. Yeah, I just sorry, um, Peter.
0: I'm I'm stuck on on the Big Bang Theory being the the first geek television show in a revolution. It's, it's
2: groundbreaking. That's, that's the world's
0: changed. You know what? That is an unconscionable act of uh, Urkel erasure or uh, <laughs> Urkel erasure, if you will. Yep. yep. <laughs>
2: Yeah and I, and I shouldn't even you know I shouldn't poop on the big bang theory too much because I mean one of these days chuck Lorre is going to die and then we're going to just going to do a full episode about the Ninja Turtles thing
0: <laughs> All right I'm calling I'm calling the title Bazinga all the way yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> But the point the point is that like there is an aesthetic right there's a, there's a form there's an aesthetic there's a structure Right. There are elements of writing that are characteristic of Norman Lear's writing personally, but also characteristic of the writing of many of the people who work for him that are incorporated in this particular style that spread out over like a bunch of TV shows, which comprised a great deal of the available television to watch at the time. Right. We are talking about a time where like there's like four channels. Right. Maybe maybe more than that. But like. Four networks, four, right? Four, um, yeah, four, or, four channels. they are in three at the time. Four yeah. channels, but it's,
0: no 4chan. It was a simpler America. I know,
2: I know, I know. There's, uh, And yet they still people still managed to fair amount of political acrimony. Uh, I don't know
0: how
2: they did it. I don't know how they did it without their ability
0: to put fraud memes. Right. Exactly. How did did they do that? Um, So we watched uh, we watched two of these uh, of these, you know, culturally relevant, uh, politically relevant television shows. Right. Like uh, one, uh, we watched an episode of of All in the Family. That's a bottle episode from, I think, the eighth season. Uh, called Two's a Crowd, where uh, Archie Bunker and his his um what it, like son-in-law now is are they is he married to his daughter or something like uh uh and they don't give the full exposition. It's not like a Chuck Lorre show where the theme
2: song explains to you everything that's happening. The The, the All in the Family, which is well, of course his pure genius, but uh, the All in the Family theme song describes things that are happening in the world, not things that are happening in the show. So, uh, but yeah,
0: I think it's his son-in-law. Yeah. Yep. So, uh, and his son-in-law, uh, gets stuck in a, uh, gets stuck in a meat locker, t- no, in a storeroom together, they get, they get, uh, locked in. Um, and, uh, you know, it's a bottle episode where they, you know, sort of two, it is a two-hander. It is, uh, if you will, a storied two-hander, uh, mm-hmm. though it doesn't have much of a story. <laughs> it's just them talking mm-hmm. together. And then, uh, an episode, uh, a two-part episode, a, a very special event, on Good Times that was called I uh, called I think the big move which was the the season opener episode 1 and 2 of season 4 um of Good Times which is uh an episode where John Amos uh, who played the father the uh on that sitcom got written off the show uh for reasons we can talk about maybe and uh so they they killed his character on the show um and the kind of the discovery of it and the 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 aftermath of it is the the is now the two hours two episodes traffic of our uh television and that's um you know, that, that, that was kind of the syllabus for this particular thing. They're all available there. I'll put links in the show notes for all of them. All in the family is on, uh, is on what? Freebie, which is kind of like if Amazon Prime wasn't bad enough for you, they make it worse by putting commercials and things. And that, that's Freebie. Uh, and then, uh, you can find, uh, the episode of Good Times on, on YouTube and we'll put, put links. Um, yeah. In the, in the show notes, in the show notes for that. One of the first things to notice is like, you know, these things are very just aesthetically different because of the technology, because of the, the, the culture, like f- from, um, from contemporary, uh, uh, television, from contemporary sitcoms, right? Like, uh, set aside prestige TV, I'm talking about like Chuck Laurie sitcoms, things that are still shot three camera. Um, does everyone know the difference between a, a three camera show and a single camera show uh you may not so i'm I'm gonna I'm gonna say like uh a three camera show a three camera sitcom is shot by multiple you you stage the action on a set uh very often on a set that looks like a theater set um, with uh multiple cameras filling uh you know filming at the same time um and uh so it's it's really and generally camera one two three like uh, in a, a a two person scene you know one is close up on one uh, camera 3 is tight on the other and then camera 2 has the two shot like has the the you know um medium shot of the the two people together and you kind of create tension and rhythm and you know whatever and edit around it by like uh cutting between these but they're not done as separate setups the way the way that it's done on a film generally uh, they will also have an audience you know a lot of them will will have a laugh track will have a um People sitting there and the, the laughter of the people is, is recorded. This is a, you know, it's, I guess, like a slightly broader in style, but, uh, there are, you know, there, there are shows, the, the, you know, I don't know, the writer's rooms of which we are not fit to enter, uh, that have been shot in this way. And then single, single camera, the, like the 30 rock style is a, is a TV show that's shot like a movie. You know, it's shot without an audience. It's shot by a single camera where every shot is a different setup. Um, you know, and they're, they're, uh, it's, it's maybe a little more carefully composed, uh, and has the, the feeling more of a tiny film. Uh, rather than kind of a stage play that's that's been captured, so like bec- this this these particular ones, because of the way uh, uh videotape worked at the time because of the cameras at the time, because of the necessity for enormous amounts of lighting just shining on everything i don't know if you noticed, but there was nearly a dark corner in any part of any of the uh any of the the sets it was all you know very uh sort of very brightly lit, very high key. Um, these are even more like the sets are flatter. They have less, uh, they have less depth, um, front to back. Uh, the staging tends to be like, the actor standing in a line facing towards the camera you know like scooped in a little bit at the edges to to create a a tiny little horseshoe and um you know or a tiny little arc and uh doing things to it and, and a lot of stuff was done like almost straight to camera there were a couple of archie bunker takes like straight to camera that were almost fourth wall breaking uh in their you know in their thing so there there's there's uh i guess what i 'd call a broadness in the uh in the style of the in a style of the performance which is not you know if you're used to the kind of the prestige TV rhythms and kind of the the cleverness and like the the sort of pace of stuff coming at you in a certain way this was a lot more I don't know. It's a it's a lot more deliberate. It's a lot more broad. It's 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 more like um, even children's entertainment, right? Like is is a lot faster paced uh, than this. You could fit like you could fit all the dialogue in this episode of all in the all in the family we watched into about ninety seconds of Teen Titans Go. like if you you know so uh yeah he gets uh he gets stuck in the he gets stuck in the storeroom with his uh with his liberal son mark what uh what did you think of the uh of the goings-on in this particular uh episode
1: before we get to the real heart of it um I, i do want to kind of pull back for a second and talk about uh um what you just ran down there in terms of just like the massive stylistic differences uh between shows then and now I still thought like even in spite of its age, like it, it gets off to a pretty snappy start. And that the writing is good, the jokes are fundamentally good, and the delivery is really top notch, in particular Archie Bunker himself, right? Like that fourth wall breaking that you're talking about, like mm-hmm. it it like it it struck me as like a very intentional creative choice. And like uh just really like playing with the format in a way that I wasn't expecting. Yeah, you know, like I was roughly aware of who Archie Bunker was and kind of what what his deal was, but wasn't expecting kind of like the, the high quality of of the performance. Honestly, no, like real, how, mu- how much how much it made me laugh. Yeah, going yeah, yeah, you, you I mean,
2: the son is Rob Reiner too. That's Rob Reiner. Yeah, yeah that's that's Marty DiBergi. No yeah. So oh, the man. one thing I didn't touch on cool. is that one of the reasons that Norman Lear is so important is that so many people who worked on his projects went on to do other things. And so if you're in the business of kind of picking a Napoleon, he's a person on which a whole bunch of stories congregate and like connect. It's like, Like, it's
0: like they said about the Velvet Underground's first, uh, first album, right? Like uh, only a thousand people bought it, but every one of them started a band and that, you know, (laughs) exactly. And that that happened with, uh, with Norman Lear as well.
2: Yeah, yeah, totally, totally correct. Uh, I mean, some of these performers are so good. Carol O'Connor as Archie Bunker is of course, just legendary. He's just so good. I do wonder because I think when you're watching a lot of these older shows and I mean older shows, I'd even count something like friends in this. you were mentioning friends in our back channel as like not that different from some of these shows in the ways that it can feel kind of archaic Uh, and and also the way that the pacing can be disrupted. Um, But uh, I guess I guess the quintessential modern example of a three camera sitcom that uses a kind of disruption in pacing that is so common on these shows is like I was constantly thinking of Kramer from Seinfeld. Yeah. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. I was constantly thinking of like the door opens, and Kramer comes out, and everyone goes, woo, right? Like, it's Kramer. The audience goes crazy. He's like, just kind these, of the actors got
1: yeah. the pause, right? And, yep. Like Kramer mugs a little bit, and everyone just kind of stands there and waiting for the pause yeah. to come.
2: In 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 the, now, this was a we specifically picked an All in the Family episode that was very stripped down because we wanted to see. Something about this style. Now, of course, Norman Lear didn't write this episode, but, you know, again, he's not writing all these things personally. Uh, this is part of his legacy and his show and kind of a, a very famous episode of his show. Um, you know, we want to see what it's like when it's stripped down uh, and outside of all the conventions. And then the Good Times episode we watched, which we'll talk about in a bit, is like very, very broad uh, and it has like 100 characters right, that come in and out. But in that show, it's like there's a Kramer moment for the first half of, of the episode, like Every 20 seconds. Sure. Somebody comes in and like everything stops. They say a joke. Everyone laughs. Everything stops. Everybody stops moving. And you see that little moments, which I've spotted so many times back when I was doing theater more often, where the actor like tenses up because they realize it's about to be their turn. (laughs) (laughs) Because like they say something and then relax. And then someone else says something, someone else says something, and then it's their turn again and you watch them tense up and then they say something. Uh, it's it's very like, you know, we have 30 people on stage in this production of Much Do About Nothing and we have to kind of rotate through everyone remembering when their line is, uh, which is not bad. It's just like characteristic of this style. Uh, very much a stage play that's been filmed um,
0: rather the, than the, yeah, the heads of the maidens may are maiden heads. <laughs> <laughs> this is indeed much ado about nothing um yeah yeah so
2: yeah but i guess what, what i'm just saying saying here is that like this is the style that we're when we say sitcom this is the style we're talking about and and the and the difficulty of what is being accomplished above and beyond selling the idea of doing a show about black people to a American television network in the 1970s, which is its own thing. And I don't know anything about it or how it would work or, or any of that stuff is like, how do you take that and incorporate social commentary into that? You have like a few pages worth of dialogue, right? Like, and I don't mean TV pages. I mean, like if you were to write it out, there's really not a lot of content in any given episode because you're constantly stopping. It's only 25 minutes long. Right. And like, I mean, after watching so many episodes of like kids television, it was amazing how like these are so short. Right. Like like my kid, you know, will blow through three of these kinds of episodes of a show easy, uh, you know, on, on a weekend. I have to cut them off. But the idea that there was only one of these a week, and it's like 25 minutes long. And it's and like half of it is laugh track. Sure. Um, and half of, you know, it's just it's kind of amazing. Uh, but yeah, that this is the structural challenge. This is the craft challenge is how do you keep doing these gags? While at the same time incorporating the social commentary you want to incorporate, and also how do you have characters that are broad enough to function in this kind of story, uh, while at the same time specific enough to get across complex ideas about social organization and like how people live together? Uh, yeah, and, and, it's, I, and yeah. let me let me
1: pick up from here and start, yeah. talk about the kind of the ensuing the goings on that of the two characters trapped in the storage room. Um, like, does everything you describe there, like incredibly masterfully. Like, yeah. very efficiently, right? I'm not without trying to relay the whole thing. Like, I'm just gonna, I will just kind of try to summarize in this way. Like, you know, you got your Archie Bunker, who's older, conservative, curmudgeonly, and just frankly bigoted, right? And in, in his outlook on the world. And then his son in law, who played by the aforementioned Rob Reiner, um, who is uh, portrayed as much more progressive and like kind of aware of, let's call it modern ideas of diversity. Um, and you've got these big, uh, These easier laughs uh, from the obvious bigotry of uh, Archie Bunker. You know, he calls his son-in-law Polak, right? And then he also says, well, I'm calling you Polak because you're not a Dago Wop." Like, that's not that far away from what the (laughs) joke actually is, right? And for those who aren't aware, those are offensive, um, archaic uh, offensive terms about, um, respectively, Polish-Americans and Italian-Americans, right? The
2: show show does drop N-bombs.
1: Yes, like, this, in this episode, this, later on, yes, the straight like, up trigger and, and, warning, right? Yeah, exactly.
2: Um,
1: but just as a, as a quick sidebar, right? Like, I think it's fair to say I can just like drop Polak and Dago and WAP in here without worrying about offending sensibilities because like we are so far removed from that particular like uh, workings out of what it meant to be white uh, and ethnic in the United yeah. States. Right. So it's like, OK, you know, um, that's not kind of a thing anymore, but it was absolutely a thing. Um,
2: When when you guys were kids, did you encounter a lot of Polish jokes? I was aware of what it was. I didn't really quite understand, like, you know, the significance of it. I definitely did. I mean, did you, you, they were modern, they were normal for me, like on the playground.
0: Oh, really? It's, we didn't have ethnic white people in Los Angeles. That was, Uh, that was not. uh, They all changed their names when they moved there. right? (laughs) (laughs) To Cruz? Brandon, (laughs) what are you doing here? Um, yeah, no, it was a big, it was a big deal to me when I got to college in Connecticut and there was like St. Michael's, St. Natan's and St. Stanislaus. And I was like, all y'all mother, father's white. Uh, but, the, <laughs> you know, the, the, it was not a salient cleavage in, uh, in my, but being Polish, I was very familiar with Polish, Polish chokes. Do you hear about the fire at the Polish library? Both books oh. burned.
1: Ha ah, ha oh, oh. Uh,
0: it's a good but, uh, <laughs> yeah, so we, we did, uh, you know we we did and and I think it, it was kind of used honestly by my mother to like explain to me why we shouldn't say why we shouldn't say racist things <laughs> like you know that when I was growing up the all the kids the German kids would call us Pollocks and that didn't feel very good and so we don't use words that put people down for for who they are which I guess you know like good for her and like this this was like the the way she had of doing it but yes no uh, I I uh, I embody polish jokes long long uh long history of polish potato farmers um so uh you know ask ask me ask me anything you want about how stupid polish people are because boy could i tell you
1: how many polish people how many Pollocks does it take to host the podcast matt
0: huh? <laughs> that's a uh one but he does a terrible job <laughs> ah. did
2: had a legitimate chance to maintain the constitution of 1792 or do you think it was a fool's errand from day one what Submarines with screen doors. <laughs> am I
0: right?
1: <laughs> 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 Is this the yeah. same Koshuko has a, has a name? A bridge named after him in New York City, by the way. Yeah, yeah. I, I love, Michigan, okay. yeah, love that guy. But, anyway, anyway, yes. Absolute so, legend. Okay, sorry, Pete.
0: What, ha- okay. what was the, it about Pollock's? What? <laughs> what? What did you? What was the point about Pollock's? <laughs> I, sorry, I, I was just in. I was just. Oh, uh, you didn't hear I, me. I was in a reverie. I was in a reverie, and I I was just in por- uh, interrupted by some persons from Pollock.
2: Okay, okay. <laughs> I can't, I never, sometimes I just, I go into a fugue state and I don't know whether you're being serious or not at all. That was a, uh, <laughs> uh,
0: Me too. I, I also, like Samuel Taylor Coleridge, I go into a fugue state. And
2: so then I, here's, here's a tangent. As might as well give you a brief tangent. Um, talk about, uh, you know, things crossing oceans and whatnot. I used to play a, a uh, I think it was a t- uh, Toei. Did they do the, uh, who did the, the sort of very, com- a Japanese company did very complicated. Um, strategy games, video games, uh, like Nobunaga's Ambition and whatnot. And I can't remember off the top of my head the name of the company. I think it's always the animation studio. It's it's a different one, but it's it's a short name. And they do a bunch of these very detailed ones. And one of them was called Liberty or Death, which was a reenactment of the American Revolution. And I used to play this game on my Super Nintendo. It took forever. It was very, not really very well suited for a console at all. And it featured two uh, Polish officers that you could recruit. Uh, I've been told that the way to pronounce his name is Tadeusz Kuszkuszko, but uh, I would call him Koskiuszko, right, if I were just to try to read it English phonetically. And, and he supposedly was like a political leader and an uh, artillery officer and I think uh, a, polit- a political person of some importance. I might have a picture of him in the capital somewhere. Not sure. Um, and then Kazimierz Pulaski, who's a cavalry officer, who – and both of these guys have highways named after them everywhere where Polish people lived in the United States. Mm. Uh, and they both fought in the American uh, Revolution. And then there, of course, were the wars involving the Polish partitions when while they were over here helping us, uh, the Prussians, the Russians, the Austrians were carving up and, and annihilating their country, right? And so, like, there the, – Kaczkowsko ends up going back to Poland – And I I described this for the Constitution of 1792, which is like a document uh, where Boland is trying to kind of further its democratic tradition. I suppose at least its representative electoral political tradition and establish a kind of new firmament for it. And I believe Kosciuszko was killed uh, on horseback crossing a river in very romantic fashion uh, by overwhelming odds. And so I had joked the joke was was Kosciuszko's kind of political mission as stupid as putting screen doors on a submarine, which is what I learned earlier in my life was what Polish people did. Uh, and, and, and so, <laughs> <what we're, laughs> see, you can see why what Norman Lear does is hard. It's really hard to combine <laughs> these, like social commentary things with the, the crude jokes, uh, in a way where you give them equal time and the pacing isn't totally thrown off and destroyed, <laughs> right? Like okay. you could just, you could be Aaron, what do you have to do is you become Aaron Sorkin. Right. Where it's like you you start talking and there's a couple of jokes and then there's like 15 or 20 solid minutes of very serious conversations, which you like in a single camera show like Sports Night. Right. Or like Lord of the West Wing. Um, and I think a sports night is being the closest to a sitcom. Um, and then you don't you, you stop being the kind of show like they, he had to take the well, he didn't have to. He took the laugh track out of Sports Night. It couldn't tolerate being that kind of show. Because uh, you do have to balance the sort of going deep with the coming up for air in, in the pacing of a show like that, mm. uh, and it's very oh. hard to do. I, I, would, I, I would wager, let, you know. Let me add hard. a
1: tangent to this tangent, which is like yes. so awkward. Why Aaron Sorkin made that uh, "I Love Lucy" movie that we all saw and talked about before, oh, yeah. right? The, the the combination of things was just so bizarre, so bizarre. Anyway, so let's 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 pivot back to this and like okay, so we got like those broad jokes there, like the Pollock joke, you know, the the racial ethnicity and all this kind of stuff, like ah, oh, you know, you know, son in law. Um, awkwardly, you know, talking about and his romantic relationship with his wife in front of his father-in-law. Ha! That's all funny. And then, you know, as they're you know, stuck in the basement together, drinking more alcohol, Archie opens up more, and then we start to learn all this stuff about him, um, and, and like kind of the roots of his bigotry, which are in very things that we talked about on this podcast many times before, right? It comes from a place of fear. It comes from a place of distrust of outsiders of the difficulties of his life and kind of just retreating to basic sen- senses of, of defense to protect himself and his family. And if that weren't enough, then it goes even deeper and gets down into Archie and his relationship with his father and the love that he thought that he felt from his father, but also the physical abuse <laughs> he took from his father. And it is in this part where Archie starts to, um, you know, from the alcohol and the the time of night, starts to drift into sleep. And then he kind of just like, uh, you know, m- sputters out as he's talking about his father and this, you know, this very kind of raw emotions. And the son very tenderly says kind of, you know, good night, Archie. And like, you know, puts a blanket over him to sleep. Um, and this like moment of understanding and sympathy is achieved there across this divide it is a very compelling and touching 25 or so minutes of television i would really recommend it to anybody well hopefully we've kind of communicated just of it there but i'll turn it back to peter matt like was there anything else to kind of like uh, important oh, than that kind of last exchange two corrections
2: like i have two corrections first it was the polish constitution of 1791 not 1792. Mm. <laughs> second yeah. um he doesn't call him Goodnight, archie he says Goodnight, shoe booty Sh- which oh was yes the, oh, the, the whole, nickname yeah. he had as a child because he was so poor that he only had a shoe and a boot after right. his like dad was laid off or something yeah
0: he had like mismatched shoe. yeah exactly
2: yeah
1: yeah yeah but so, that's like that's important too right you now because he's just dirt poor right growing up in the depression
0: yeah
2: um i mean matt you want to go ahead i've talked a lot um, I, I mean, well, I mean. Let me, let me just jump in. Let me. I'll say what I want to say then, and you can, you can, you can, uh, you can, you can jump in when you like. No, I'll tell so, you. Why, I'll tell you why you're wrong throughout. You please do. So, I think the the artistic and political missions dovetail very nicely in a way that's illustrated and commented on in this episode, and that I think uh, creates a way of articulating kind of what's going on with a lot of what what this is for better or for worse. So. Rob Reiner's character in the episode does mention like, well, you know, you know, he because Archie Bunker was raised by an abusive father who was a hardworking, you know, laborer who uh, also was very ethnocentric and chauvinistic in the sense of like, you know, my group is the best group. I'm, you know, I'm the best kind of person. Everybody should be with the same kind of people, you know, bigoted, uh, you know, separatist, all this other sort of stuff. And. The politics of Norman Lear writ large is nothing if not pluralistic. You know, that that's really the big message is like there is not only is there sort of room for many different types of people, but the way that Rob Reiner's character articulates it is like the world is better. When there are more different types of people, it's more enjoyable. There's like it's like a very sort of ancient Greek, like we need to establish a meta ethic for this. And it's like it's not because we have a preconceived idea of what it would be like to have a just and proper society. And that's what we're going to adjudicate on this show. No, it's the idea that uh, greeting and engaging with and regarding people of like a wide variety, like enriches and improves the state of the world and, and your own enjoyment of it. Right. Like like just as a baseline concept, which is which is standing against very much of its time standing against the idea that all the nations of the world should be, you know, ethno states that are dedicated solely to themselves and their own peoples. Right. Which is like, you know, Archie Bunker's generation that is coming out of this is this like this just like age of giant nationalistic global wars. Um, and uh, and so like you have in this Episode, sure, you could talk about, well, you know, Archie Bunker's kind of tricky character because he's obviously a fool, but people who agree with him identify with him. So if you're putting him on television, are you embracing them by giving them something that validates them? Is that mm. the problem? Or and you're not and you're not giving enough juice to the son-in-law. Right. And it's like because the son-in-law's politics, if what you really favor is the son-in-law's politics, then you should really be spending more time on the son-in-law's politics rather than spending so much time with Archie Bunker. Neither of this is the point. The point is that you're putting both of these characters into a dramatic situation, dramatic comedic. You know, it's a it's a dramatic situation in the sense that it's like two characters talking to each other with different perspectives that are engaged in a conflict with each other. And there's a story that's associated with the conflict. And that, in a sense, is a microcosm of a commentary on society, which is like the way that society should be is that the people who have different viewpoints should be in conflict with each other by talking to each other. And that this is in and of itself a political position, right? Like you should not be like cordoned off, you know? Um, uh, I mean, again, there are, he has a lot of other political positions, but I think in terms of how the politics and the art come together, I just thought it was interesting to consider that merely juxtaposing people from different backgrounds on a stage in front of a camera together is making a statement that is contrary to what would be considered orthodoxy, uh, right, about like, how people should regard each other or how you should think about the default regard of one person for another person. Well, the,
0: yeah. I mean, it's, um, it, it's looking at this from the, per, from the perspective today and to, to our sort of, uh, you know, our cultural disagreements and, and controversies, right? Like it doesn't, it doesn't jibe kind of with what we think of as a, you know, what we think of as a, a What sort of laudable goal for, for society today, because it's a really, it's a, it's a tolerance focused ethic and, and not a so called like inclusion focused ethic, right? Mm -hmm. Like, because the thing, the thing that I noticed dramatically was that Archie never really sees Meathead's point of view, right? Like, if, if this were being written today, the kind of the regard for the other would be mutual. Both people would Mm -hmm. like kind of, Oh, like gain a, um, would would like gain insight into the other? Yeah. Like, oh, I see why you're a you know why you're a reactionary, you know, racist old curmudgeon. Oh, I see why. Like an Independence
2: a- Day, everybody shares knowing looks of mutual understanding as they fight the aliens.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Right, yeah. like um but I think it's interesting that that there are no aliens here right like or yeah. or the, the only alien, the the only aliens are the Pollocks the um the uh, I mean there there are like all kinds of words <laughs> that you can't say anymore are said in in this particular episode there are uh you know uh, there are epithets for African Americans there are epithets for Italian Americans uh too actually um the uh you know the whole thing the 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 whole thing is that the world is a the world is a story. Room and we're all locked inside it um, together and like uh, you you know there 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 kind of isn't a big external enemy that's going to come and and become the bad other so that we can all we can all realize uh, realize what we're doing together but that that like the the um, it reminded me a little bit of Seinfeld's like no hugging no learning uh ethos um at the end and it's kind of like you can't you can't change Archie Bunker right like he's he's kind of carved out of he's kind of carved out of granite right like he's he's not going to he's not going to change all you can do is kind of like tolerate and maybe even like sympathize with I guess at the end like feel for some of the stuff that uh some of the stuff that that he went through right like his um his sort of disagreeability as a, you know, as a reaction to being like, uh, being abused and, uh, you know, whatever, as a, as a, as a child, um, his like real weird cognitive dissonance around his dad, like, you know, your dad loves you, like, he's punched you in the face to, to make you better, <laughs> to, to make you good, <laughs> you know, um, but like, uh, you know, that man slaved every day working at the factory to come home and, and put one shoe and one boot on your, on your foot. And, uh, you know, and why, you know, why can't, why can't, why shouldn't I get, get that respect? Because he has this, his, this sort of, really um he has this really sort of troubled relationship with, with his own father. He sort of expects the younger generation to treat him uh with that kind of with that kind of reverence and, and uh you know the, the um I, I'm sure none of us have ever met people like that. And the whole uh you know the whole the the whole thing. I mean it's kind of like, it's it's the the impression I came away with was that he's, he's sort of beyond help. You know what I mean? Like yeah. he, he can only be kind of managed and you can manage him kind of, you can manage him skillfully or not. You know, you can manage him gracefully or not. You can manage him good humoredly or not. Uh, but he can, he can only be managed. And like, uh, Rob Reiner's character, you know, is still in the window where there's maybe a little bit more malleability to the uh to the kind of person that he is he's also kind of committed a lot more to cosmopolitanism um but like the the uh and 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 by the way like i think one of the the tragic things is that like on on some level i think that archie gets it like gets it he's a dinosaur and like part of the uh, part of the, the cur- curmudgeonliness, part of the, like, the, the real, um, difficult to withstand disagree, agreeability of that character's personality is that, like, he knows he's on the way. Like, he knows he's, he's, uh, uh, that, that his, um, his generation is lost. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, it's in the theme song. Yeah. Yep. Um, so that's, uh, I mean, that's interesting. And I, I was, I was, um, there's a lot I was taken by a similarity uh thematically between this and the good times episode that we watched the the two-parter where the the news of john amos's death is uh john amos the actor uh played the character I forget the character's name His death is is uh revealed james james is in in the middle of a party you know uh and uh and then the second one uh, that takes place in the apartment after his funeral, where the kind of the the big emotional conflict is about uh, different ways of of processing grief, and the the children um, are upset that their mother uh, is you know putting on a brave face, whereas they feel really you know some of them are like teenagers and their their emotions are less stronger and they like feel really shattered by this and kind of want. They, they want to see from their parents something that, that kind of validates and like something that is consonant with their, their own, uh, their own experience of kind of de- of devastation and, and the kind of the beginnings of grief. Um, and I thought, a, I thought a little bit of the same thing and I, I sort of like thought, uh, maybe this is the only plot, right? Like, the only plot being like, you know, older generation, you're dead. Um, you're, you're not, uh, right? Like, the, the, the new way is the new way. And, uh, if it's, and, and if it's not your way, you can get out of the way. And that, like, there's, there's something about, um, there's something about kind of the way that the mother, uh, uh the mother, sort of gaslights her children a little bit, uh, about how bad they're being by, by feeling their, by feeling their grief just cause she can't kinda, she can't handle it. Um, that reminded me of, uh Archie's Jeremiah ad in all in the family in the bottle episode that we watched about how the the younger generation uh needs to needs to sort of respect their elders like your father oh i'm wrong your fa- your father was wrong with his his bigoted opinions no he loved you and so you know he's right and there there's thing where florida the mother character in uh good times says like i am the uh, i am the parent you are the children i do not need to uh sort of adjust my behavior or my like uh demonstrating emotion uh to to please you um and that's uh you know and then uh, walks out to to you know put on a brave face for her for her party guests and like uh yeah so it's this um it's it's i, I thought it was kind of a, a similar thing in terms of like dealing with dealing with the generations um dealing with the conflict between the the generations and how it's kind of a uh, a proxy for all kinds of conflicts between all kinds of different people. And um, in, in this way, kind of the apartment in the high rise project in Chicago, right? The, that apartment is the storeroom uh, that we're stuck in is the kind of the world that, that, that we're all stuck in together. And the, the idea that we need to, we need to sort of engage Engaged through talking is, um, you know, still the kind of the 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 dominant ethic, or like uh, you know, posited as a as a way out of the the dilemma we find ourselves in. So there, Pete. Now, I've, now I've talked a great deal. Uh, That's awesome. And, and uh, uh,
2: so to add to the Esther thing, because I, I I I think you're you're totally on track. And one of the important things about good times, in particular, to an extent, the Jeffersons, and then of course. Sanford and son is that the people that you have in the room who are working on the project are not necessarily the people who are in charge of the project. And it's not really an auteur kind of project Mm. because there's so many different collaborators that have, that are on very different wavelengths about what they're doing. And to the extent that I think you can credit these projects as being transformative, it's because, I mean, people talk about, you know, representation matters like, like there are people who have jobs on these shows for all of the problems that these shows have, especially as being like the first of their kind or like, how would you know that a sitcom written almost exclusively by white people about black people? Wouldn't be good enough. You would have to make one right. Like to know, and you know what they did and it was called good times, right? Like, um, and there were black writers on good times. I don't want to get it entirely wrong, but it wasn't most of them. And, uh, and I think in no, I mean, particular, there they were mostly
0: yeah. liberal Jews in Santa Monica, right? Like, I, yeah, yeah. I think, but, of a, but like, I think of, yeah. a, I think of like Norman Lear as being a, an old, like, just old Hollywood lefty along the lines of like Ed Asner, or you know, like people who who were sort of horrified by the blacklist kind of lefty, you know. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I think,
2: I mean, I always, as I've been going through all this, I've been doing a lot of like reading of of IMDb pages to try to figure out. You know, who are the people that I actually liked when I watched shows that were sort of like this when I was younger? Uh, and I'm not going to I'm going to spare everybody the rabbit hole about um what was his name? Mike Moray. C.J. Banks is the writer name uh, for the a guy who goes on from writing on Good Times to uh, creating 227, which was one of my favorite shows when I was very little and then Married with Children, creating Married with Children. Um, So like, but again, he wrote like nine episodes of Good Times. And so you might say, oh, there's only white writers on Good Times. No, it's a show that has African-American actors and writers who go on to have more autonomy on other shows. But the reason I bring this up is that all the stuff with Esther Rolle in the second one, if you talk to my experience, talking to people who already knew and liked Good Times, which means mostly black people, um, uh, prior to like this retrospective podcast, uh, the one thing there's one thing about the, these episodes that stands out more than anything, which is, of course, the damn, damn, damn moment. Right. When Esther roll smashes the bowl on the floor, when her grief like finally comes out. Right. When when she finally releases it, she's like, damn, damn, damn. Uh, and this is like a very important big deal TV moment for people who were watching the show or who uh, for whom this show like looms large. And it's interesting to consider that the way that the character is written She is she even gives a lecture about what grief was like in Africa. Right. Um, uh, And I guess you could think about other traditions in the United States and African-American communities that have a similar sort of vibe to them, such as like, you know, tailgate trombone and kind of like um, Louisiana funerals and stuff like that. But um, but the, the idea that she's written as somebody who doesn't express her emotions about her grief because she she has to be happy because that's her tradition. Right. But then she's performed as somebody who is like so deeply psychologically and emotionally wounded by the loss of her husband, not just the loss of her husband, but like of, of her, the loss of the change of her whole life. Like they were going to go and have a better life because he was getting a better job and they were going to leave Chicago and it's a running joke about how much they hate it there, right? And there's this whole commentary about like moving to the North from the South. This, the very commentary that feels like it's written for, uh, you know, a Howard Zinn book, right? About like, well, they were in the South and they moved to the North thinking it would be better, but it turned out to be really racist and bad. And so like, um, but but like, whereas the way that Esther Roll then has this moment at the end of the show where she just goes, it's not she's off script, but there isn't a script, like, I'm sure there's stage directions, but she's not talking, and she's in charge of what she's doing on stage in that moment, and that's when she watch her go through the unraveling of all of her bound-up anguish and, and, and grab the bowl and smash the bowl in this, like, grand, you know, gestus, right, this grand, like, sort of political gesture about what all this means uh, to her and her character and her sort of big outpouring in just those three words – And I think you see this this the show is fighting against the idea to an extent that the older black people, as they're being portrayed in the show, are conservative and the younger black people are liberal. Right. Like um, it's 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 even though the show seems to be telling you that in the way that it's written, the way it's being performed, there's kind of something else that's going on. And I think that that is an interesting thing to watch the performers sort of try to get across to you uh, while, while it's going on. Of course, then J.J. Walker also kind of messes it all up by being, you know, constantly the funny guy. Uh, and again, messes it up, a.k.a. makes the show the thing that people like to watch, right? Like, a.k.a. is funny in a comedy show. How dare he? Right. But like, uh, you know, he's he's so much of a different character than the than the meathead character in all in the family. Like he's not sitting down to have serious conversations about too much. Um, But yeah, that's all I wanted to comment on was like, I love the way that you articulated how the Esther role character was similar to Archie Bunker. Florida is similar to Archie Bunker in the way she's written. But then they have that part at the end of the episode where she's performed totally differently because she also like reaches a point of self understanding, which Archie Bunker never does in this. Now, granted, there's another really sad episode of all the family that we could have watched where we could have watched Archie Bunker wrestle with that sort of thing. I don't think it's the same. Uh, I don't think no spoilers, I guess for, for latter episodes of All in the Family. Um, but, you know, there were multiple actors who were written off the shows at various points. Um, I don't know, Mark, what did you think about as we're talking about all this stuff? What do you think about Good Times? You had never seen it before, right? I'd never seen it before. Um, the, you had warned me about this, Pete, but the beginning
1: of it, um, it gets oh off God. to... Not, not, Rocky isn't quite the right word for it. it. It is awkward. It is not particularly enjoyable to watch from a, from a modern perspective. Like, it contrasts pretty deeply for me. Um, with the all in the family that we had seen. Um, again, like there's only two people in that in that earlier episode, right? And so you don't have that uh, disruption problem like we like we just talked about. Um, the I, I didn't get to, to 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 catch the end the the full arc of it, so I didn't get to catch all the kind of the, all that emotional pathos and, and as you're describing there. So I'm just kind of going off the comedic setup at the beginning, and um, one particular joke that st- stuck out to me. And I may have been reading too much of this just because of the moment, um, but it's, it was still notable. And it was what you, 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 you brought it up very briefly, Pete, which is that they're talking about, oh, they came up uh, you know, for the south from the north and they thought that was going to be great. Um, but they realized it was just, you know, full of racist assholes as well, too. And they're going to go back to the south. Um, one of the characters says that, uh, you know, they thought coming out to the north would be like uh, the promised land. And then I believe it's JJ retorts back to that. Oh, yeah, this is the promised land. Why are there so many Jews in Tel Aviv? <laughs> that's the joke. Yep. I'm like, wow. Okay. I mean, obviously, you know, references to the promised land and to, and the state of Israel and kind of stuff. It's like has a whole different, you know, crazy resonance particularly this time in 2023. Um right, you know, the, the uh, and, and that's that's just where we are in history in this particular moment in history. Um but uh that the 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 strange combination of kind of speaking broadly to the african-american experience and then like this very kind of you know out of left field joke there um felt like it, it not carefully constructed um or just like maybe it was at this felt it, it was constructed enough at the time and just as insufficient for this time
0: Yeah, and
1: I I, I I left myself at the moment there thinking like you know like you know is this actually a weakness to the show or is this just me <laughs> Being well i mean it,
2: <laughs> excuse me um it's it's maybe it's a weakness of the show i think like well okay so there's a couple things going on another another example i i would I bring up the other jewish joke that you missed because you didn't watch the whole thing because like there's like more oh than boy. one jewish joke uh uh and of course a lot of the writers are jewish so like it's norman lear himself by the way jewish yeah right? yeah. and um and i think it's interesting so um what i was gonna say there's a joke be, there's a running gag that's actually starts out as pretty lame but eventually gets funny where everybody coming to the funeral for the dad is bringing a ham as a gift, right? Uh, and and to the point where, like, the fridge is full of hams, there's no way they're going to eat all this ham. Uh, in fact, the store has run out of hams, and so, like, the final person who brought a gift couldn't bring a ham and had to bring a turkey. Mm-hmm. And, like, that's the punchline. And it's actually pretty well-performed as a punchline. But I think there's a moment where they say, like, imagine if we were Jewish and couldn't eat all this ham, right? A good thing wow. we're not Jewish. And it's like, I, I mean... Maybe I'm wrong, but if you're black in the 70s and you're going to make a joke about not being a particular religion and not eating pork, I think you would say Muslim, right? Like, (laughs) Like, but that's the kind of thing, right, where it's like yeah, you know, we're not, sure we're not we're Muslims. The, the
0: the yeah, exactly. the well-meaning juice in Santa Monica didn't quite understand that the uh, didn't quite understand the milieu that they were actually writing about., <laughs> well
2: yeah it's like care. little tiny details like that. I mean, so there's really there's a couple of things that are happening with the Tel Aviv joke. One of them is that the show is just stopping to talk about a politically topical thing, right? Like, uh, you know, at this point, you're not that far removed. You know they all all sorts of news is probably happening about what's going on in Israel at the time. Right. right. Yeah.
1: Um, that decade had its own set of uh, you know major. Yeah. challenges. So it's like they stopped to make a topical yeah. reference,
2: right? And so it feels weird. I mean, the what was it? The the red letter media guys, for better or for worse, uh, uh, one of them had said like, if a movie seems prophetic, it's because nothing ever changes. Right? Like, it's <laughs> like, <laughs> which is very cynical. But of course, that's kind of what you know. That's like the, it's table stakes. For what they're talking about, but the idea being that, like, the show will just stop whatever it's talking about to like make a reference to something. Like, even even the part where 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 Florida says, I think it's Florida who says it, where it's like, oh, this is what it was meant when Dr. King said, "Free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, we are free at last," right? And she like performs it, and it's like, really, and it was played for a laugh,
1: for sure, right?
2: Yeah, well, it's also it's it's like you're sort of stopping to talk about that. It's like very specific right like um i don't know whether it's the passage of time that has made it feel forced because it's not a reference with a lot of currency now now it's like history um but also it kind of like but also even the jokes about like oh you know i uh i showed up with a ham or like hey i'm in love with this girl now you know like like all of those little lines are thrown in there and they just have these big clunky pauses around them you know, and, and it's it's uh, it's the form. I'm having so many problems with the form. So, like, I don't think you can get away from the the problems with the topics and then the problems with the structure uh, that are just associated with making this kind of show. It's just so tough. I mean, Matt, what you, are you picking up what I'm putting down with regards to this? Like they make it they stop to make a comment about some thing that's happening. Um, but they also stop to make a comment about like, hey, I don't know what your name is. I'm going to guess your name. And I'm just going to name a bunch of names.
0: Sure. I, I I think it's, it's, I think you're right to identify it as a, as a problem with the form, not a problem with the form as a, as a matter of dealing with the form, right? Because the, the form, the thing about a a sitcom, and this is probably more true. It's probably more true in times of less serialization, right? Uh, More episodic TV was that the, the point of the sitcom is to hang out with the people, You know, the point with the of the sitcom is to kind of just be in the room with your with your friends. You know, and so like when your friends do your it's kind of like everyone is a party and like you're like, Oh, hey Pete, do that thing you do at parties. Do that thing you do, that thing you do at parties, Pete. Do it, do it. You know, and then then when you do everyone goes, Yay, right? I think it was I think it was significant that this was that this was an episode one. Of a season, right? Because we're like seeing all of our friends after a summer break, you know, and like kind of reintroduce. So like there is a meta job of kind of reintroducing everyone and doing a little bit of doing a little bit of fan service. And I think you're right that it doesn't move. It doesn't move the narrative forward, but they're really. Isn't a lot of narrative like these? Yeah. These things don't don't actually have plots, uh, but uh, much like the dramatic action. Really, is they get locked in a in a storage room, and then the the dramatic action is like news arrives uh, of the news arrives of the of the patriarch's death, right? And then the the. Yeah. Dramatic very dramatic
2: ag- scene. Incredibly dramatic scene, I thought. Well it's
0: wonderful. I mean it's yeah. it's actually wonderful. And I say wonderful, it's a very sad it's a very sad moment, but it's done like they're they're planning to move down to Mississippi to join him right and then uh because i right i get the sense that he's he's mo- he's working. he's setting up the business okay yeah, exactly. got it yeah, yeah, yeah. they're gonna yeah. come they're they're falling behind but then they get a a a telegram from his employer from somebody he works with or something like that that he's uh he's uh, died in a car accident right and so they're having the party they're having the going away party and are reading the telegrams which like apparently is a thing i was aware of it as like a british wedding tradition like people who can't come send notes and they're called the telegrams because presumably they were once delivered by telegram and and so uh like that they're they're having a party and so people send messages and and you know so it's this this big uh big moment of of um you know uh uh what's the one what's the one where it's, sw- it's switching it, is it peripatea? Peripatea? yeah it's a it's a big moment of parapet I can't, can't keep my Greek words Greek words str- oh god we've been talking about the Polish but don't get me started on the Greeks their language is incomprehensible um, the per- <laughs> the peripatea- it's just Greek to me <laughs> the <laughs> uh um of like you know there's music playing and people are dancing and it's like oh here's a telegram from mississippi it must be they can't wait to see us we regret to uh inform you that your husband has been killed in a in a uh, car accident right like it's um it's really well it's really well orchestrated and and it's sort of effective like moving for the for the um for the way it's for the way it's set up it's actually one of the things that's handled I think with a slightly defter touch than a lot of the dramaturgy of the rest of the, uh, Uh, a lot of the dramaturgy of the rest of the thing but I actually put that a lot of that on Esther Roll I actually just I I wasn't super familiar with Good Times but watching these two I got a lot of uh, a lot of respect now for her acting like just you know because she's got to do all the presentational stuff it's the style of the sitcom and something like that but just what she brings to the moment of where she gets the thing or what she brings to the moment at the end when all her guests have left and she's cleaning up after the party and her kids are still not you know kids aren't she's actually yelled at her kids to get out of the thing i want to clean up don't help me don't help me like go away because she just she can't deal and then she like you know it all boils over for her and she like takes the glass bowl she's holding smashes it on the the floor and shouts damn damn pete you did it like she's a like a like she's she's like ian mckellen or something before (laughs) damn 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 you shall not pat uh but the uh you know but yeah what she, what she says you know like again like just sort of bringing a bringing a gravity um bringing you know bringing a level of kind of like going deep to it uh that you have to um uh, you know that that is not uh, not necessarily inherent in the material and is sort of definitely the actor's contribution to the uh to the creative project that uh you know, that they're, uh, that they're doing, but that, uh, sorry, I've, I've, again, gone off on, uh, in a, in a night of tangents, um, one tangent stands out against the landscape. The, I mean, the,
2: I, I think, sorry, go ahead.
0: The, sorry. But the, the point I'm trying to make is that I think if you, if you are, if you are a little jolted around, if you're a little bumper card by the, like the plot lurching around, it's because a, there's no plot and B, that's not the point.
2: Right. So I think this is all a tribute also to where norman lear fits into all this right like you how do you talk about it you do not give norman lear credit for esther roll's work right like it's like oh man norman lear really created this character you know norman lear really like made this show right but like you also think like okay in terms of being a leader Being somebody who's like looking for and creating shows, opportunities, expressions, collaborations, you've like created a situation where you have this wonderful actress who, you know, through a lot of struggle and a lot of unpleasantness, a bunch of which is this guy's fault. Right. Like still, you know, this is part of the legacy of that kind of that career is that, you know, as an alternative to what other people were doing, which was not having people on TV, on the TV show at all. Right. Like, uh, you know, they're giving her this opportunity to be part of this full family and to give these kinds of performances. Um, and I guess what I would want to say also is, uh, is that he, for this, he was richly rewarded, right? Like, like, I feel like it's, it's, uh, it's tough to talk about Norman Lear all of the, all of the discussions I've heard of him after his death have focused on like whether he was a saint or not, and I just kind of want to put out there that he made hundreds of millions of dollars making these television shows. He was fine. Right? Like, like, like the thing that he proved he might have he might have set out to prove right that the world could handle a, a new way of looking at each other. He might have set up to really prove that you know his own viewpoints on you know class and race. And kind of economic struggle and social struggle were valid and sort of like perform them against uh, an orthodoxy of, of all that sort. He might have set out to do all that. What he proved is that if you don't take advantage in some way of all this talent and take advantage, I can say that even in a very kind way, if you don't get create spaces where very talented and, and skilled and, hard, and and excellent work can happen. You will not benefit from the excellent work. Now, you know, is he like a rent seeker? I, I would not go that far. I think that there's a lot of facilitation of project that needs to happen from the standpoint of being a leader of all this stuff. You know, I think that uh, that that, you know, I, maybe certain people were were underpaid, overpaid. But the point is that, like, you know, Norman Lear did better. He did to the extent He did good. Sure. But he did well because he put Esther to roll in that role. Right, like, like he did really well for himself. He was rewarded. The evidence is on the table. Like you give Esther Roll the parts, right? Like you make the show for her, right? Like, like, um, it's like it's like even that hadn't been demonstrated. I think that's the thing that's missing from a lot of the retrospectives about this stuff is just this notion that like it had not yet been demonstrated that doing this was the smart thing and not doing it was the stupid thing, which is like leaving money on the table you know, causing great projects to never happen. Um, Not that the whole point of it is money, but it's like, you're a producer. You have to manage the resources. It's your job to manage the resources. Mm. And, and, you know, people, people spend so much time and energy thinking and talking about like what producers and executives and showrunners in entertainment do. I would almost say that Norman Lear dying now and the degree of interest in him dying now feels similar to the sort of shift in sports Away from people caring about their teams to people thinking of themselves as fantasy managers, mm. it's like people want to be the GM. We live in like a post Moneyball world where people want to be—they don't want to be the player anymore. They want to be the GM. They don't think of good times as being, you know, the JJ Walker show or the Estoril show. They think of it as the Norman Lear show because he was the guy signing the checks, right? And it's like, okay,
0: yeah, man, I hate—I you know, hate all those Monday morning studio studio executives. You
2: know? <laughs> Like so, you know, there's the in the New York Times obituary. You know, they they talk about Tyler Perry saying Norman Lear was his idol. Yeah, because because Tyler Perry's a producer, like and he wants to be good at being a producer, right? And like Norman Lear was really good at being a producer.
0: He also um, has. A, I mean, I I would say that Tyler Perry also has a worldview. You know, like he wants yeah, yeah, to. Yeah that he wants to, uh, and, and, you know, you, a lot of people take issue with, with that, uh, with that <laughs> worldview in a way that is kind of skewed to the point of what Tyler Perry is even trying to do. You know what I mean? Right. And that's like, I I think that's the thing. Like, so when you, like Pete, like when you say, I I wonder if what you're saying, Pete, and that like, oh, there's this controversy of, of kind of how to, how, where to file him, like what <laughs> file card to put him under, yeah. you know, his, his legacy under, I, I almost wonder if that's not just more an extremely online, you know, yeah. uh, like phenomenon, right? That, that it's kind of not a, a little bit. I, I mean, wh- one of the things, one of, the, one of the contemporary modes of, of discourse that, that just the, the kind of the, um, I, I don't like to say social media, but that are, that are our, our current, uh, our current commentary is technologies, right? Like, encourage is the, like, I have a worldview. Here's how X or Y phenomena comports or doesn't comport with my worldview. And that, that's why it's, it's bad or good. Rather than, uh, rather than actually reckoning with what the thing was. In all of its, this is something that you say a lot, Pete, that like people are really, people are bad at history right now because we don't like contradiction. Like we don't like, uh, irony. We don't like, you know, we want, we want kind of like a file card to, to, to put things, to put things under. And and I wonder, like, and I don't know, I think that like, uh, uh, a couple of things that we've said tonight. One is that, like, it, you know, he worked in the entertainment industry as a very powerful person, but he wasn't the entertainment industry. He commented on the society, but he wasn't the society. <laughs> you know, to, to, to a great extent was the, the product of the kind of the material and the cultural conditions around him that, that, uh, that made him and made all the, all the other people, all the other people around. And also, like, uh, you know, um, he he uh uh like he really I, I don't know it's one of those like you have to kind of judge judge person thing against the the standards of their time but i actually think that like given this uh given this mode right like given this like theoretical adherence mode of you know whether whether your theory is whatever your theory is. And my God, there are, there are a whole bunch across the political and cultural spectrum, right? Like um, given this mode, I think Norman Lear would say, yeah, none of that matters because you're not talking to each other, right? Like uh mm-hmm. we're all stuck in the, the storeroom <laughs> together <laughs> and um you know, you, you're gonna, you're gonna find out pretty quick. Uh, how lonely it is if you don't, uh, you know, if you don't strike up a conversation. Anyway, I think we might have to leave it there We're, we've, we've blown through We've blown through our hour, which is amazing How could he say so much in 22 minutes And and, and, and we so little In 75 <laughs> Thanks very much for listening Thanks Pete and Mark uh, You know, rest uh, uh, Peace be upon you, Norman Lear We, we uh, you know This was a, a really interesting And a, a worthwhile experience excursion for this uh for this week we'll be back all christmas all the time <laughs> next next week in our uh, in our uh holiday death march 2023 going to you know uh going to drummer boy you all on the next uh on the next podcast <laughs> um yeah we're gonna uh, uh we're gonna be back next week with more overthinking it. until then visit us on the web at overthinking com, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it It probably probably doesn't doesn't deserve
1: it in a way Matt aren't we all shibooties